Hi, this is Sydney Moon, and welcome to the Holiday Moons Podcast, where we share our love for the holidays with you year round. This is Cole, and I'm going to be talking about the Ides of March. This is Randy, and I will be talking about the history of St. Patrick's Day in Ireland. And this is Beth, and I will be talking about rainbows. So we are into our March podcast, even though today is actually two days after Valentine's Day. So what holiday happenings do we have for the week? Well, this is a couple days past Valentine's Day, as you just said. So Randy and I ended up celebrating Valentine's Day yesterday on the 15th rather than the 14th. On the 14th, I was cooking for some friends, which was great. And Randy and I decided it would be better to have our celebration on the 15th because the 14th is so crowded. And I, for one, do not like crowds. So we took the day yesterday and had a fun day. Yeah, it was nice because tomorrow is President's Day. So some of us have off on that day. So it makes for a three-day weekend, which means that we could celebrate on Saturday and still have two full days to get other kind of not as fun stuff done. That's true. That's right. true. Yeah. So we ended up going to one of us favorite, one of our favorite restaurants, Uncle Julio's, <laughs> and then we went to see a movie. That's right. And the uh, movie theater was awesome. It had it actually had recliners in it. Yeah, and the movie was fine. It yes, was, but was, the recliners were awesome. But the movie theater itself was <laughs> awesome. But, it was worth it. Yes, it was. Right. It was neat. And we did some shopping and stuff that we'd wanted to do. So that was a very fun day. Yep. What other holiday happenings do we have for the week? Well, the stores are um, getting ahead on the Easter decorations <laughs> and candy and right. such. We're two months away from Easter at this point. Yeah. So a ways to go. We've got St. Patrick's Day in between. Yep. Uh, as well as Mardi Gras. Actually, that's still coming up too. Um, it was funny. I was at Michael's, and so they already have all their big, like a big Easter section up. But so I walked in, and immediately it's right there, and they had a little bench there. And I don't know. I just walked in and looked down. And I just got. I was just was startled because a woman was sitting there, and I don't know if she was like holiday drained or what. She was like a zombie. Like she was just sitting there staring at a kiosk, just <laughs> not making Clearly any movement. <laughs> yeah. She was tired. Yeah. So that's funny. Yeah. So as we said, we're in the thick of the March holidays with this episode. And one of the first ones that comes up that everyone celebrates, I'm sure, is the Ides of March on March 15th. Big holiday for us. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's always a, a big celebration. We take out all of our Ides of March decorations. Right. <laughs> yeah. Our various... Yeah. Like, what um, would that be? Like, knives and um, <laughs> laurel wreaths, probably. Togas. Togas. Um, so, races. does anyone remember... Ides of March are very famous for William Shakespeare's play... So does anyone remember what the soothsayer said to Caesar? No. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Hi. No, it, Caesar. it was, it was the famous Caesar. line, beware the Ides of March. Oh, yeah, I knew that. Oh, oh yeah, sure. Everybody yeah, I didn't know that. who said it, though. <laughs> I forgot who said it. So, the but phrase, that was just beware the Ides of March, was spoken by... A soothsayer. That's correct. 
Wow, you guys are you're bonafide historians, aren't you? So the term the Ides of March did not originate with William Shakespeare, which I'm surprised to think that some people did think that he just made up the yeah. phrase That's Ides of March. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Who's all that? I didn't. Shakespeare didn't make up things. <laughs> he wasn't that kind of guy. So the Roman calendar, which consisted of 10 months beginning with March, was believed to have been created by King Romulus around um, about... 750 BC, 753 BC. And we know Romulus as the planet that the Romulans are from. <laughs> Even though there was a King Romulus of the planet Romulus. Right. Well, presumably the Romulans had a monarchy at some point. I guess so. I guess so. Yeah. But no, this is the Earth Romulus. <laughs> and at that time, dates were expressed in relation to the lunar phase of the month using three markers. Calends, Nones, and Ides. The first phase of the moon, the new moon, was denoted by calends and signified the first day of the month. The first quarter moon fell on either the fifth or seventh day of the month and was referred to as the gnomes. And you're thinking you're saying gnomes. <laughs> That's where gnomes came That's from. Gnomes. That's where gnomes came from. Fun fact, gnomes can only appear <laughs> on the fifth or seventh day. What was it? The first quarter moon. <laughs> Funny, I did not know that. Yep, they come to life. Hmm. I know, creepy. <laughs> so the full moon fell on either the 13th or the 15th day of the month and was referred to as Ides. So the Ides of March, March 15th, initially marked the first full moon of the new year. Oh, I didn't know that. So during the late Roman Republic, a New Year's festival was held on the Ides of March in which people would gather a mile outside of Rome on the Via Flaminia, by the banks of Tiber River, celebrated with food, wine, and music, and offered sacrifices to the Roman deities for a happy and prosperous New Year. It was also the last day, the Ides of March, in which you could settle a debt, according to Roman tradition. That moon is now also called the Crow Moon, the Crust Moon, the Sap Moon, the Sugar Moon, the Chaste Moon... The Lenten moon, and then as I mentioned last time... The Stabby the... Caesar moon? <laughs> nope. Oh. The Worm moon. Oh. None, none of them were Stabbies. Okay. No. And that's a lot of... Quite that's a, a, that's too many names. nicknames. That's yeah. too many moons. Yep. And they're not related to There's each other. There's never enough moons. Right. So between uh, 200 and 150 BCE, the Ides of March also signaled the beginning of the new consular year. Uh, in which two annually elected consuls took office as leaders of the Republic. So, about a hundred years later, Julius Caesar reformed the Roman calendar by adding 10 days to the 355-day calendar, instituting January 1st as the first day of the new year, and introducing a leap year every four years. Hmm. So that goes way back to... uh, 45 BCE, in which we have our calendar and the leap year. Yeah, interesting. And this is a leap year. So this is, so thanks, Caesar. Yeah, and happy birthday to all you leapers. That's right. Yep, may you happily leap this leap. year. Um, so shortly after, Caesar was granted the title Dictator Perpetuus, which, what do you think that means? Perpetual. Perpetual. Yeah, dictator for life. And concerned with Caesar's increasing power and uh, dictatorial policies, a group of Roman senators stabbed him to death on 
March 15th, 44 BCE, forever linking the Ides of March with the assassination of Julius Caesar, and later producing, via William Shakespeare, the famous play in which uh, the soothsayer said to Caesar, beware the Ides of March. And that's the et tu brute? I was et thinking the same brute. thing. Et tu brute, yep. Yeah. And the origin of et tu brute is one of Caesar's most close, I guess you could say, friends. Brutus was one of the, uh, at least in the play, was one of the ones who stabbed him. Right. Yeah, and he said et tu brute, which means, and you, Brutus. Brutus. Yep. Like, even you? Even you, Brutus. Um, I was going to ask, is it true that um, a certain salad was named in memory of Julius Caesar? Randy. <laughs> the Julius <No>. salad. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's the obvious go-to. <laughs> the Ides of March salad. Oh, gosh. No, that's not true? No, not to my knowledge. Hmm. As a historian, I would expect, you know, maybe you would know. Well, I'm not a salad historian. Oh, you're not? <laughs> no. No, but it, uh, his death was a closing event in one of the major crises of the Roman Republic and triggered a civil war that would result in the sole power of his adopted heir, Octavian, later known as Augustus. Caesar so Augustus. It's interesting to me that we today still remember that day. Like, why, do, why of all those days... Do we remember the 15th of March as the Ides of March, do you think? Probably because of William Shakespeare's play. Yeah, because we probably, probably all read it. Right. Yeah. Right, well, and kids. it's one of those things that in America, we initially came over as an English culture, and William Shakespeare was a prolific influence on English writing. Right. And we all had to read it in high school. Right. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, we read, but it is interesting because we've read a lot of things in high school. So why do we... Right. It's not like we celebrate it, but we do quote it. We do remember it. Right. Or at least we all knew people do. et tu brute, right? right. Mm-hmm. And beware we all the knew Ides that of a, March. It was specifically a soothsayer who said beware the Ides well, of March. Well, everyone We all that. remember that. <laughs> um, but it's interesting. It's one of the most famous kind of um, betrayal, right. yes. I guess, things in history yeah. along with, um, you could say, Judas, Brutus. Just don't trust people with us. us. <laughs> <laughs> Judas, Brutus. Yeah. There's no us in those words. <laughs> what happened? It's a deceitful us. Yes. It should be jute me and brute me. <laughs> <laughs> that was not really funny. <laughs> yep, so I propose that we start celebrating March 15th with uh, some kind of party in which we can all uh, wear togas and mock stab the friend that we like the least <laughs> what do you yeah, guys think wow. I, yeah that sounds like so, a really terrible idea doesn't sound like wow. a family yeah. friendly kind it of doesn't, holiday no. No. no no it could be you can make it fun for the whole family i guess it could be a young adult kind of thing maybe that would be a good millennial thing to start maybe yeah i don't you, think not. So. you can have plenty of you can have plenty of wine there <laughs> yeah that's right plenty that's of alcohol true. i'm sure the romans enjoyed that hide the actual knives Right. Yeah, that's right. And we have the mock the ones. Somebody ones. might might get a little too enthusiastic. <laughs> that's right. So thank you, Cole, for that March 15th special day, special information. holiday information. <laughs> yep. And you could go a couple days later and something else is going Just on. Just two days later. Just two days fun. later. Yeah, St. Agnes's Day. Yep. That's what I was thinking <laughs> of. So, like the soothsayer, we all know St. <laughs> Agnes. So... St. Patrick's Day is on March 17th, 
And it's interesting that we celebrate St. Patrick's Day in the United States. Does anyone know why we celebrate St. Patrick's Day in the United States? Probably because, because the of... Irish immigrants came over. That's right. That's what I was and they say. brought their traditions <laughs> and yeah. we embraced them yeah. and amplified them. Well, kind of. So the interesting thing, when I started to look at how do Irish actually celebrate St. Patrick's Day, I wondered about, is this like a lot of our Christmas and Halloween traditions where... We incorporated European traditions, or was it something else? And it ends up, it's a little bit of something else. Hmm. So as I was looking to see, well, how does a, an, an Irish family celebrate St. Patrick's Day? It went into a little bit of the history of St. Patrick's Day. So obviously St. Patrick's Day celebrates the patron saint of Ireland, who is credited with bringing Christianity to Ireland, and is a national figure of much devotion in Ireland. He's the nation's patron saint. And also St. Patrick. Right. And also drove all the snakes out of Ireland. There are no snakes in Ireland. According to myth. And apparently drove all of any evidence of there ever being snakes in Ireland out of Ireland too. The whole thing. Because there's no evidence snakes were ever in Ireland. So observing St. Patrick's Day actually dates back to the 1600s. And it was in the 1600s that the Vatican, because this was a Catholic saint, so the Vatican confirmed in 1631 that St. Patrick's Day was a good day for Ireland to celebrate. So they're like, yes, that's an official holiday in the Catholic Church that you can celebrate. But for most Irish people at home, the day remained a religious or primarily religious day all the way through the 20th century. So it really was more of a quiet day at home, no parades, no public events. No turning rivers green? Nope. Nope. <laughs> in fact, um, the only uh, event that is of note that there was a grand ball at the Dublin Castle each year in the second half of the 19th century, so the late 1800s. But other than that, most families celebrated it um, by going to church and having a more somber day. So not like a huge celebration. Because so, it was St. Patrick's death. Yes, right. You're... Um, day of remembrance of everything that he did uh, for the nation. So I then I thought, well, that's that's kind of interesting. Um, you know, looking further along in history, in the 20th century, the 1900s, the day in Ireland became more of a public spectacle. So it started to be a little more of a, of a community activity. There was a military parade that ran through Dublin streets from the 1920s all the way into the 1950s. Uh, but even during that period, through the 1950s, the day was still somber. There was mass in the morning, which is um, the Catholics going to church in the morning. There was a military parade at noon. And surpri- I'm sure this will surprise many of you. The bars actually across the nation closed for the day. That is shocking. Yes. It wasn't until the mid-1960s that Irish bars uh, remained open on March 17th. So let's go back a little bit So history. So it's almost like it's two different holidays. Like, really, we should say St. Patrick's Day is in Ireland, and St. Patty's Day is in the U.S. Well, it's, it's yeah, it's funny. Two different animals. They actually call it St. Patty's Day in Ireland. Oh, oh. but then switch that. Both switch that <laughs> which is Turn kind of funny. So let's look a little bit further back. So then how did St. Patrick's Day become what it is in the United States? I don't know. And what did that mean for Ireland, right? So if you look at... The United States. The first recorded celebrations of St. Patrick's Day in the U.S. were in Boston in 1733. 
So a group of Irishmen came together and they celebrated over dinner um, the in memory of the saint, the Irish saint, which was St. Patrick's. Um, they actually began a, a parade in 1776 um, in honor of St. Patrick, the saint of Ireland, with fifes and drums. So they did kind of a military parade. So that's kind of how it was celebrated in the U.S. for a while. Post-Civil War, and this gets to what Sydney was saying with the immigrants, there was a large influx of Irish immigrants into the United States. Um, and post-Civil War, um, there became because there were so many of them and they were kind of in um, ghettos of Irish, um, they were looked down upon. They were looked at as being drunken, violent, highly criminalized. Um, so they kind of were looking for ways to prop themselves up and to show other people that they weren't all those really bad things, which is funny when you think about it, because today, St. So Patrick's much, Day is like all of those things. Everybody wants, well, it is, but everybody wants to be Irish that day. Right. right? Yes. It's so, something that's looked up to, not something that's well, not looked ever. down on. Right. Exactly. So lots of people yeah. want to be part of that celebration. Right. But back then, Irish were looked on very poorly in the United States. And they wanted a way to display their civic pride as well as their pride for their country. So they began to, through the use of symbols and speeches, to find ways to celebrate the patron saint that they had and the spirit of Irish nationalism in the old country in the United States. So some of the aspects of St. Patrick's Day that we're familiar with actually didn't start in Ireland. They started in the United States. So they began to observe St. Patrick's Day in a number of major cities, including Boston, Chicago, New York, and other cities like New Orleans, San Francisco, um, Savannah, Georgia, in the 1800s, uh, with uh, much broader public events and parades that connected with the rise of Irish Americans in local governments. So the Irish Americans began to run for office, got themselves into office, started to say, hey, why don't we celebrate St. Patrick's Day in our Irish American communities in a way that helps foster you know, goodwill towards the community and puts down the idea that you know, there are all these negative things. So that tradition of celebrating St. Patrick's Day grew across the United States and became a day that was also celebrated by people with no Irish heritage at all, such that by the 20th century... It became part of St. Patrick's Day um, to include uh, all this marketing that went with it, right? Mm -hmm. The greeting cards, the shamrocks, wearing green, the food and drinks, all those sorts of things. Even corned beef and cabbage, which is rarely eaten in Ireland, became a staple of St. Patrick's Day festivities uh, in the United States. And the, the prime meal that's eaten in celebration on the 17th of March. So then it was in going back to Ireland, it was beyond the 1960s that some of these Americanized traditions of St. Patrick's Day actually boomeranged back to Ireland and started to become traditions in Ireland. So the parades became less of the military kind of somber events and more of the public events with floats and more, um, more, festive, more festive kind of activities. The bars opened up instead of staying closed like they had been. So now when you look at Ireland and how they celebrate it as a whole, and I will say this, you know, it still does vary, but a lot of Ireland celebrates it with aspects of Americanized St. Patrick's Day activities. If you go to a big city like Dublin, then 
that overall experience will seem similar to a large city celebration in America now because they've taken on so many of the same things. In general, in Ireland, Paddy's Day, as they call it, is still a religious holiday, but just not in the way it once was. It's, you know, more Irish are going to enjoy the fact that the pubs are open um, and, and take advantage of that to have a Guinness. In fact, they said it's not uncommon for people to have a Guinness with their family, you, you know, with kids mixed in, not that the kids are drinking <laughs> per se, but they're, they're part of that activity. So it's a very much of a family-friendly event. Most major cities have a St. Patrick's Day parade in Ireland. That generally is the uh, main event. There's marching bands, local officials, community arts group, festive floats with uh, lots of fanciful kind of themes to them. Now, one of the things that it's interesting that when people come back from celebrating St. Patrick's Day in Ireland is that tourists are not the target of the actual event. I wonder about that. I wonder why they changed if it was to attract tourists. Well, no, I think they took the aspects of the event that were more festive, probably more secular, right, for people that aren't religious anyways, and kind of adapted them to themselves. But when you look at things like the parade, a lot of the floats and the songs are really Irish folk stories that most non-Irish people are not going to know what they are. So, like, they had one float that was the children of Lear or Lur, I'm not sure, it's L-I-R, um, and this is a fanciful story about um, a number of kids who were turned into swans by a sorceress. Well, most non-Irish people probably won't know that story. You know, it's like Russian fairy tales. Most non-Russians aren't going to know all those fairy tales. Yeah. Right. Along the way. But there's still, you know, if you're a tourist in the city, it's still going to be a fun, festive environment, even though it's not focused yeah. on you. Well, and fairy tales are one of those things, too, that if you don't know specifically what's going on, it can be very difficult to understand the context of yes. what's going on in a fairy tale. Right. That's right. In general, in Ireland, the pubs are packed now. You know, like I said before, they used the pubs used to be closed all day in the late 80s. Um, they began to be open during the day. And so now, one thing you can be sure of is that the pubs will be packed and the beer is not going to be green. Oh, it's not in Ireland. No. Okay. No, they don't do any of the, the touristy wear green or you're going to get pinched. Such a bad tradition. Put like... Uh, face paint on, color your rivers green, right. anything like that. In fact, wearing, and I think you talked about this last year, most Irish before it became a little more like the United States, the most that they would wear that was green was a little um, shamrock on their um, on their shirt. shirt, like kind of pinned or on their shirt, or whatever, yeah. huh? which had normally been blessed by the uh, priest prior to that event. So they didn't wear a lot of the green like we do, and they didn't have the over-the-top kind of um, Irish activities that we have in the United States. So it's interesting to me that, unlike some other holidays, where we've adopted so many of the traditions from other places and kind of adapted them to ourselves, in this case, it was a specific idea of a religious holiday that came to the United States, kind of exploded, and then now has kind of spilled over to other parts of the world. It's such an interesting history of how things came about. That it was actually Irish Americans that made it more like... A big festival. Right. Versus what they had over in their home country. Right. Well, there are some very iconic things about St. Patrick's Day. 
What are some of them? Leprechauns. Yes. Leprechauns. <laughs> the Leprechauns. Christmas gold. As per the Rankin Bass. Right. Right. TV the special. pots of gold. Yep. What else? There are green I, hats, those top hats and bowler hats. Shamrocks. 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 I feel well, like saying rainbows, rainbows? Is, is too obvious. No, that's not right. No, not, that's not right. Rainbows, which is what I'm going to talk about. But there's also horseshoes. I was looking up just icons of St. Patrick's Day, and there are quite a lot. And a lot of them, you hear of the luck of the Irish, right? And that in and of itself is worth researching if you don't know where that came from. I think Sydney covered a Disney movie called The Luck of the Irish last year. I did. Right, yeah? <laughs> correct. Good job. That, that is correct. Yes. <laughs> Thank you for expressing all those feelings in Can that confirm one statement. And it was actually a really cute movie mm-hmm. and it was worth listening to the podcast. You did a good job. But let's talk about one of those iconic things, and it is the rainbow. And we're not, I'm actually not going to touch upon its legendary rainbow with pot of gold leprechaun thing. I'm actually going to just talk about a rainbow and how it's formed. Oh, well, that's disappointing. What it is, yes. <laughs> well, but they're very interesting. So, how is the rainbow formed? It's refraction, reflection, and dispersion of light in water droplets that are hanging in the air. So, as the more I was reading this, I'm like, how do we ever even get these things? It, t- it takes a lot to make a rainbow. Mm, it does. So, normally, the rainbow is a multicolored, arc-shaped event that appears in the sky. The colors of the rainbow are produced by the reflection and dispersion of light through the water droplets in the atmosphere. So, an observer can perceive a rainbow to be near or far away... However, it's not actually located at any specific spot. Instead, the appearance of the rainbow depends entirely upon the position of the person observing it in relation to the direction of light. So, over and over, as I was researching, I kept seeing that a rainbow is an optical illusion. Mm-hmm. Now, I researched a bunch of places, and worldatlas.com seemed to have the most succinct, easy for me to understand. <laughs> synopsis of what a rainbow is but i would say that a rainbow is not an illusion the colors of the rainbow are in the sky so it's a phenomenon phenomenon (laughs) you're welcome you're welcome i thought you were going to start saying the lyrics to the rainbow connection there (laughs) rainbows are visions are visions not only illusions not only there you go rainbows have nothing to hide (laughs) well so someday right i mean someday we'll find it the rainbow connection the lovers, lovers, the dreamers, and, and me. me. And me. <laughs> so, the rainbows present a spectrum made up of seven colors in a specific order. Now, not you, Randy, oh. but Sydney and Cole, do you remember how we remembered the order of the rainbow colors? Red, orange, yellow, something like it. And then it goes to um, blue and purple. Rory? Absolutely not. <laughs> Gold does not remember. I do Thank not. For so, sure. I remember that yellow is in the middle. Yeah. It's so funny so, because growing up in school, we always, we had it drilled into us, Roy G. Biv. And I know I talked to you guys about that, but apparently I didn't do a good enough job no. of drilling it into now, you. Rainbows have played a very small role in the course of my life. Weird. So, yeah, I know. Well, um, so, so I don't really retain, I can 
say with some confidence, I think blue is at the bottom, red is at the top, and yellow is in the middle. So when I was in psychology, we I had a sensory class. We um, spoke about the color spectrum. So I don't remember it. The, the Roy whatever, but I do see Roy in my head Biv. <laughs> um, the, the color spectrum and then what's beyond that. Right, and Roy G. Biv was a mnemonic device. It's an, it was like a name to remember the order of the rainbow. I've so, never met someone named Roy oh, G. Yeah, Biv. Green. Yeah, yeah. So go through the color. Roy G. Biv. Red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. Roy G. Biv. So I was right. Blue is at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> Blue, indigo, violet. Violet is yeah. at the bottom. It's sort of like, it's on the latter end. Of well, it is. And it has to be a really crisp rainbow to see the indigo and violet. A lot of times yeah. it kind of, it's like blue. Well, blue because, and fade. Yeah. Yeah. Because red is like the easiest color to yeah. see. So we, that's, that's like, we often see like the beginning part. Yes. And it's always the outside arc. Yeah. And violet's always the inside arc. What if you stand on your head? So, (laughs) not going to answer that. (laughs) A rainbow is formed when light, normally sunlight, passes through water droplets that are hanging in the atmosphere. So, the light waves change direction as they pass through the water droplets, which results in two processes, which is reflection and refraction. When light reflects off a water droplet, it simply bounces back in the opposite direction from where it originated. When light refracts, it takes a different direction. Some people refer to refracted light as bent light waves. Rainbows form because white light enters the water droplet, where it bends in several different directions. When these bent light waves reach the other side of the water droplet, they reflect back out of the water droplet instead of completely going through it. Since the white light is separated inside of the water, the refracted light appears as separate colors to the human eye. Mm -hmm. Which is just very interesting. Why do we even ever see these things? That has to go in in this this, arc. This is specifically naturally occurring rainbows, though. Because you don't need water to create any kind of rainbow. No, you can use a prism. You can use a prism. This is is just a naturally occurring rainbow in the atmosphere. Right. So, each individual wave of color has a different length, thus wavelength. For example, red light has the longest wavelength and only bends at about a 42-degree angle. Violet light, which is at the bottom, for example. A biv. A right G biv, of the biv. In contrast, has the shortest wavelength and bends at around 40 degrees before reflecting back out of the water droplet. So, I thought that was interesting that it was such a small degree difference between the red and the violet, but it makes sense. That's why you get the arc. Yeah, it's not. Because there's right. so much, because there's not a lot of space between the, the two. The pieces aren't separated. Right. right. Because the red wavelength is longer, it commonly appears on the outside. The other colors are also in order according to their wavelength, which is why it's always the same. Other waves of light are also reflected from the rainbow. However, these light waves are not visible to the naked eye. And this, Sydney, I think is something that you were talking about. At least not visible to the human naked eye. Correct. I wasn't talking about anyone else's naked eye. Just human naked eyes. What about animals? Some birds can see beyond like what we can see. So these invisible rays are present on both sides of the rainbow. Ultraviolet rays are shorter than the violet rays. And X-rays are even shorter than the ultraviolet rays. Now, gamma radiation is at the furthest extreme of this side of the rainbow. 
What do you think of with gamma radiation? The Hulk. The Hulk. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about rainbows. So let's stay on task. At the other end of the spectrum is infrared radiation and radio waves. Why is he green then? If he's gamma. Right? He should be like like deep violet. Yeah. Yeah. He should be really, well, Maybe they only had green pens back then. I guess. So that's how rainbows are formed. Now, there are different types of rainbows. And I'm going to go over just a few of them with some very short little explanations of what they are. The first is the double rainbow. Oh, I like that. Thank you. (laughs) A double rainbow occurs when a second rainbow is visible above the principal rainbow. The second rainbow is not as bright as the first. True. And, you know, we all see, we all know that. And it's made possible by a double reflection, and this is interesting, which causes the color order of the second rainbow to be reversed. No way. Is that true? Yeah. It's like, look. I've never they noticed actually, that. They have a I picture. didn't notice that. But that I always crazy. thought that the double rainbow, like, it, it's such a unique, um, natural occurrence. I remember thinking how cool that was. But I didn't realize that it, it inverted. I don't think I've ever saw a, one that, that was bright enough to, to see notice that. Yeah. yeah, That's really interesting. Or you just weren't looking for it. Yeah, or I just right. assumed it was the same. I just yeah. assumed that it was the same. Or yeah. your, you know, because your brain will play tricks on yeah. you. If yeah, you just don't even really Have all the seen double rainbows? I have. Yeah. Yeah. I was glad they had a picture of yes. it. Because I was thinking, what? I know. And then I looked up, I'm like... That is crazy. Something to really look for cool. next time, yes. Yeah. Another is a moonbow. Have any of you heard of a moonbow? Yes. So is it the ring around the moon? No, but good guess. Okay. Although most rainbows are associated with sunlight occurring immediately after a rain shower, some rainbows are created by the light of the moon. Moonbows are less common than daylight rainbows, and they can only be seen in some areas of the world, typically where there are waterfalls. So moonbows are often seen in the spray created toward the bottom of these falls. Additionally, moonbows usually require the light of the full moon to be visible. And most people view moonbows as completely white. Isn't that oh. interesting? Now, we've been to Niagara Falls and seen rainbows. Yes. Yeah. In, in the daytime. Mm-hmm. In the yeah, very base easy of to the, see. Yeah, yes. in the base mm-hmm. of the waterfalls. So if we would be out there, I don't think I'd want to be Full out moon. there. Full moon. By the looking at the bottom of the sprays, it would seem like I guess a white like arc. Like a solid white arc. Right. Which I thought was just very interesting. Like it, the fog bow is white. These are the only two that are white because normally, as I was saying, there is a color spectrum that identifies a rainbow as a rainbow. But these are arcs. That you see visible arcs that are hmm. white. Okay, Cole just pulled up a moon bow. It's just really pretty, really interesting. It's almost alien looking. It is. It's crazy. If any of you have Google out there, you too can bring one up. Just search, I think, moon bow. Moon, moon bow yeah. images and you'll get one. Oh, interesting. Look, this is a fog bow. It's like Yeah, that's of the pretty day. cool. Yeah, that just looks yeah. like a thicker arch of fog, really. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Moon bows typically occur in waterfall sprays. Fog bows can be seen in times of thin fog combined with significant sunlight. So in this case, light reflects off a dense collection of water particles, which results in a wide and bright 
rainbow, they are almost always entirely white in color. This white appearance occurs because each light wave is projected over a very wide area and the wide streaks tend to blend together, creating the white color. However, red and blue streaks of color can sometimes be seen along a fog bow's edge. Again, fog bow images. There you go. Sydney pulled one up and again, very interesting. All right. There is the reflection rainbow and the reflected rainbow. I thought they were maybe named a little too closely. Maybe somebody could have been a little more creative with this. The reflection rainbow are seen normally above large bodies of still water, like lakes. So they occur when a primary rainbow is visible over the surface of the water. The water reflects the primary rainbow, creating a secondary rainbow above the primary. The secondary rainbow is only a reflection of color and is somewhat fainter than the primary rainbow. I don't know how you can, well, I guess you can tell it's different than a double rainbow because a double rainbow is inverted. The colors are inverted. Its shape takes on an elongated form and usually stretches upward in a straight line rather than in an arc shape. What was that one called? The reflection rainbow. These two rainbows appear to touch where each meets the earth, creating a wider and brighter section of a rainbow. And they're very uncommon. Oh, see, so yeah, that's how you would tell the difference because they come down on the ends together. Because so they start at the same so point. It, it almost looks like like a tree that splits yeah. right. at the top. Yeah, and yeah. They, you're right, the, the colors are not inverted for the top one. Right. All right, so the next one then is the reflected rainbow. Look at that one. <laughs> a reflected rainbow is similar to a reflection rainbow in that it occurs over a large body of still water, although some people have reported observing reflected rainbows in smaller collections of still water as well. The difference between these two types of rainbows is that the reflection is not projected into the sky, but rather over the surface of the water. These rainbows are formed when waves of light pass through the water droplets in the atmosphere and are reflected in the surface of the water. So the endpoints of both primary and reflected rainbow appear to touch in the water. However, the two do not form a complete circle. Instead, the reflected rainbow creates an elongated oval-type shape with a rainbow in the sky. So it's like a football, if you think about it. It's like touching. Uh, yeah, like this. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. So this one makes it look like a sphere, like a, a they, hole. They said normally it's a more elongated one. Yeah. That is actually a very big circular one. Right. But usually it's more like a football shape. It's more obvious like than... Exactly. That's exactly right. And you can look, again, yeah. look these images up. They're very, it's very easy. I didn't know there were this many rainbows. The final one I'm going to talk about is very rare, and it's called a monochrome rainbow. Which, as the name suggests, the rainbow takes on one solid color rather than the full spectrum typically observed in rainbows. This event produces a solid red rainbow. These rainbows are more common after a rainfall that occurs close to sunset or sunrise, which makes sense. At these hours, sunlight travels deeper into the atmosphere, causing green and blue light waves to be spread over a wide area. And without these colors, the red light waves are able to dominate the sky. That is unsettling. They are considered a rare phenomenon. Can you imagine, like, at a time when science wasn't as advanced and you looked up and saw, like, this red rainbow in the sky? 
That would be a little scary, I think, if you didn't know any better. Yeah. So there is a little bit of information about rainbows that I ended up finding quite interesting. I thought, oh, okay, well, I'll just talk about, you know, how are rainbows formed. Rainbows are was, related to St. Patrick's Day, so right. there's your connection to holidays. It's my rainbow connection. It's your rainbow connection. <laughs> and it ended up having all these different kinds of rainbows that are really cool. It is really cool. Thanks for um, telling us all this. You're welcome. And thank you guys for looking up each one so that we could all <laughs> enjoy see them. It. Yeah. 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 And I encourage True. you listeners to do the same because they are interesting to look at. Um, you like Beth described right. them in a great way. When you look at them, they it is really interesting to it's see the different types. It's fascinating, vibes. yeah. It's, a, it's true, people. It's out there. <laughs> They're out there. Thank you. That was a fun set of topics. Next week, we'll be talking about the knowns of March. <laughs> <laughs> All of us, right? Probably some more St. Patrick's Day next week. So our future festivities are for the week of March 2nd. Uh, March 2nd is Dr. Seuss Day. March 3rd is National Anthem Day. March 4th is March 4th and Do Something Day. <laughs> That's funny. March 5th is National Cheese Doodle Day. March 6th is National Oreo Day. Yum. March 7th is National Cereal Day. And then March 8th this year is Daylight Savings Time. As always, you can follow us on social media. On Twitter, we are holiday underscore moons. Um, on Instagram, we're at Holiday Moons, all one word. On Facebook, you can find our Facebook group and our Facebook page by searching Holiday Moons in the search bar. And you can contact us at any time at HolidayMoons at gmail.com. So for Sydney, Cole, Randy, and Beth, Happy St. Patrick's Day!